This is OHSU Week. I'm Patrick Holmes. Last week, President Joe Robertson appointed Sharon Anderson Dean of the School of Medicine. We'll hear her thoughts on the role, learn about her background, and why she is passionate about the work of the VA. And later, I talk with OHSU's Associate Vice President for Government Relations, Abby Tibbs, about the federal budget released this week by the Trump administration and what it means for OHSU. It's Monday, May 29th. Dr. Sharon Anderson has been the chair of the Department of Medicine for the past four years. Last week, President Robertson appointed her dean of the School of Medicine, effective July 5th. I really never anticipated this. I spoke with her shortly after her appointment was announced to department chairs. It seemed to go very well from my perspective. It was it was a very tightly held secret, believe it or not, which is sometimes difficult. Uh, but um, the chairs were very positive. I think they were uh, happy to uh, have a new dean announced. And I've been here a long time, so um, everybody knows me and I think they're pretty comfortable with me. And of course, we're all delighted that Dr. John Hunter is going to continue in the new and critical role of chief clinical officer. So I think that um, uh, the response was positive, and I'm sure people understand that John and I will be able to work uh, very closely together in all of the things that we need to accomplish here. I asked her about her priorities for her first few months in the role. Well, uh, the good news is the School of Medicine is not broken, so it's not as though I have to go in there and start fixing things immediately. Uh, Having said that, um, there's a lot of work to do going forward as uh, we adjust to the changes around us. there are going to be changes in the reimbursement system, which uh, are hard to define right now, but the clinical um, enterprise uh, drives the engine and, and generates a lot of the support that we need for research and education, so we need to pay attention to that. There are a lot of things going on in the national scene with respect to, for instance, federal funding of research. Who knows what the NIH is going to be able to do? And there are um, changes that we all recognize we need to address uh, internally. Our structure uh, may not have grown um, with the size of the enterprise and with the ch- the external challenges. So I think Joe, uh, President Robertson, uh, his part of his charge to me is to help us um, uh, rethink the structure of our organization here and how we can best be poised to go forward to meet those challenges. So um, there is no specific timeline, but we need to do it fast, and we want to do it fast, and I'm excited about jumping into it. Uh, I, As it was announced this morning, I've committed to a three-year term. Uh, and the goal will be to uh, allow us time to address these structural issues, uh, and then uh, in a year or so, uh, uh, maybe a little longer, uh, start a, a search for a new dean uh, when we have the the new um, structure in place. And and one thing I've always admired about OHSU is I think this institution has done a remarkable job responding to changes in the outside environment, and we're going to need to keep doing that. And so I'm kind of excited about being a a part of that process. The dean oversees all aspects of the school, including research, education, and clinical care. I asked Dr. Anderson about her research interests. 
I've actually had the opportunity to do um, all four parts of the uh, of the academic mission. Uh, I've been an educator forever. Many of us, most of us, stay in academic medicine, at least in part, because we love teaching. Uh, so I've always been a teacher uh, at all the usual levels. I give lectures to the medical students and the residents, and I uh, attend with uh, residents and students and fellows and clinic and so forth. Um, and I've had some leadership roles. I did uh, a few years ago assume the role of um, program director for the Nephrology Fellowship uh, training program here at OHSU. I will confess at the time I did it because by default because somebody left and nobody else would do it. Um, but it was really a great opportunity to learn more not only about the th theory and science of education but on a practical matter how graduate medical education works. Uh, all of our hospitals are critically dependent on our residents and our fellows um, and uh, as with so many things, the finances are complicated. So it was a great opportunity to sit in the Graduate Medical Education uh, Committee and so forth and to, to learn a lot about that. Uh, so, and then from that, I was able to uh, become a member of the executive committee of the uh, training program directors for our National Nephrology uh, Association. So even though focusing on teaching was never uh, a particular goal of mine, uh, I'm really glad that I've had the opportunity to learn so much about the ins and outs because that's one of the arenas that the dean uh, needs to uh, have oversight for. Uh, in terms of research, I've been doing research ever since I was uh, a, a fellow. Uh, I spent a number of years um, as a physician scientist spending a, a pretty large chunk of my time doing research. Uh, I was fortunate to get funding from the NIH and the VA and all sorts of other places. And, and really, um, I love research. And it was, uh, uh, it was wonderful to indulge that passion. I'm not so active now because I have about three other full-time jobs. And you can't do it all at the same time. But um, uh, you know, research really is my first love. And I uh, have a deep appreciation for it and an understanding of what it's like to uh, try to maintain a research program. You need to get the grants. You need to be able to run the lab. You need to understand both the finances and the politics around you. So um, that's been a, a large part of my career. I'm also an active clinician. Uh, always have been, always will be. I love taking care of patients, and I love working with uh, students and residents on the wards and taking care of patients. And that's something I could never give up, but uh, it's a smaller piece of my practice now. And then the fourth one is administration. I like administration. Uh, you know, when we train, when we're in medical school, it's not, it's not anything ever anybody ever sees as a goal. It doesn't look very attractive. But when you get into it, you learn that um, it's a great way to get things done and to affect change. And so uh, I enjoy administration. I've been fortunate to have a number of uh, administrative roles with increasing levels of responsibility to culminate with the one that starts in a couple in a few weeks so um, so I do feel that I have a, a, a strong background in 
all, all of those aspects of academic medicine, which uh, I think it's pretty important for the dean to have. In addition to her roles at OHSU, Dr. Anderson also holds an appointment at the VA. They had uh, the annual research day at the Portland VA, and they asked me to come over and make a few comments. And in the process of preparing for that, I actually came up um, with a document from 1946. That's 70 years ago. That's the one that established the relationship between VAs and academic medical centers. Uh, and it was interesting to look at. Uh, and some of the things have, have changed and, and some have not. Um, but I think the VA is a critical partner. I mean, we know that. So the VA is a huge part of graduate education, medical education in this country, uh, which was one of the original goals back in 1946. Uh, so we have a huge number of students, residents, and fellows that spend time over there. Uh, it's a tremendous uh, research organization. Um, there's a lot of uh, outstanding research going on in the VA, not only directed towards traumatic brain injury and things that are uh, uh, highly concentrated in our veterans, but in research in general. And um, it's a, a, a strong academic partner. I do think that that relationship uh, here may have been stronger in past years when, uh, for instance, when John Kendall was the dean and he was a longtime VA person. Um, and one of my goals will be to strengthen that relationship and make sure that it remains robust. Uh, I've been a part-time uh, VA employee um, for the last 26 years, and I still have a .1 FTE appointment at the VA. I still see patients there. Uh, so I think that um, it's a, there's a tremendous benefit to both sides to strengthening that relationship. Collaborative research, collaborative teaching and educational opportunities. So, so that will absolutely be one of the priorities that I will look at uh, as I um, take on the dean's role. We also talked about what will happen with the Department of Medicine when she takes over as dean of the school. Um, I've been the chair of medicine for about four years, two years interim, and then two years permanent. Uh, for the time being, I am going to continue for the chair as the chair of medicine. Uh, we can't do too many transitions at one time. Um, I think the department is in very good shape, and it will be for the next leader. So, uh, you know, in the not too distant future, I'll be talking to a lot of people to think about uh, the future. I, it's not realistic to think that I can continue to do both. I do both of these jobs for a long period of time. They're both more than full-time jobs. Um, but I'm really proud of what we're doing in the Department of Medicine. I think the department's in very good shape and uh, with a little bit of thought and planning with um, other colleagues here, uh, we can um, determine the, the the future for the Department of Medicine. I couldn't help but notice that she kept mentioning things that made her proud. So I asked her what was the proudest moment in her career. So for example, the American Society of Nephrology is the premier nephrology society. I'm a nephrologist and it's the premier nephrology society in the world. And in about 2010, I was honored to be the first woman president of the American Society of Nephrology. I was the 46th president. So it took them a while to get there. So I think um, I enjoy taking leadership roles, but I really, really enjoy taking re leadership roles where I'm the first woman. And I know part of it is uh, due to my seniority. I understand that there were far fewer women entering medicine or nephrology when I started, et cetera. But still, um, that needs to, um, 
we need to uh, continue to see more women in leadership roles nationally. So there have been some other things. I was the first woman chair of the American Board of Internal Medicine for Nephrology. That was exciting. So uh, all of those were great honors. I asked if she always knew she wanted to be a doctor. No, it was quite accidentally. Um, I didn't even think about medicine until I was probably in my mid-20s. Um, I, nobody in my family was a doctor. I didn't know any doctors other than my pediatrician. Uh, and um, then I um, was a trauma victim, and the, and it's, the details are not important, but I, I had the opportunity to be sort of laying around the hospital, being bored mostly. Uh, and I noticed that the medical students and the residents were working really hard, but they seemed to be having a good time, and they were learning all the time. And I thought, that kind of looks pretty interesting. So I thought about it for a while, went back and did some pre-med stuff, which I hadn't done, and then you know, sort of got into medical school and still had no idea what I wanted to do. I figured I'd probably be a family doctor because that's the only, you know, Marcus Welby, it's the only thing I'd, I'd ever seen, and then um, got interested in internal medicine and got interested in nephrology. Um, so sort of um, a, uh, at least, a, especially at that time, a relatively late life decision, because at that time, much more than now, people tended to go straight through, you know, college, um, medical school, on um, doctorship. So even having been out um, a couple of years was, was unusual. So um, it was... It's kind of serendipitous, and I have never um, regretted it for a minute. Uh, even then, not knowing much less about medicine um, than I do now, I uh, was able to figure out that it would be an opportunity to learn continuously. It wouldn't get boring. Uh, and I also sensed there were a lot of different things you can do in medicine, and boy, are they. You know, if you start out in academics and then decide you want to go to clinical practice, and then you can go to industry, you can, you know, have a research career, and then decide you want to have a teaching career. So I think it um, it remains an incredibly diverse field. And quite honestly, if you're going to put a lot of years into training, and for a lot of people, a lot of money into training, it'd be good to find something that there's a pretty good chance you'll be able to remain excited about for your entire career switching paths once in a while but um but that's all good so i uh I, I hope young people still see it that way i know she was wearing a star trek pin on her lab coat i mean who doesn't like star trek so i'm old enough that um when i when star wars came out i was a young adult so i don't have the um rabid uh love of star wars that some of my younger colleagues do um but star trek you know uh uh, was you know something that uh, uh, I guess hit me at the right time, and um, how can you not love Star Trek? And if you're going to ask me which one I like best, probably Next Generation. Although I revere the original series, and I've seen all those episodes 14 times. I've watched every episode that comes along, but you know why not? And what I'm wearing on my lapel is a communicator button, and I just think the captain needs to be able to stay in communication with her team. I did my residency here, left for a while to do my training and my nephrology training in Boston, came back here, and I've been here 26 years now, and I am um, 
fiercely loyal and devoted to this place. I'm very proud of this place, or I wouldn't have been here uh, all this time. And um, I'm really uh, excited to um, be able to uh, help OHSU grow and thrive and succeed. Also last week, President Trump released his budget for 2018. Abby Tibbs is OHSU's Associate Vice President for Government Relations. Hey, how's it going? I spoke with Abby on Thursday. Normally, she would have been in Salem, but she was home with a sick kid, so I spoke to her by phone from her house. OHSU takes positions on um, health policy matters and other issues of um, around uh, other public policy issues um, that impact our, our mission. And certainly, we have been actively engaging around the HCA and um, uh, other conversations that are happening in D.C. Um, this last week, the, uh, President Trump issued his uh, fiscal year 2018 budget, um, which is uh, something that happens as sort of the normal course of the appropriations process in Congress. And his budget is really um, a expression of his of the values of the president, and it is sort of the beginning of, of the process. It's important to note that the um, Congress takes its responsibility as the appropriators um, to uh, to draft their own budget very seriously. So, um, but we were very concerned about the dismantling of um, you know key programs that impact OHSU's ability to fulfill its mission. Um, including um, significant cuts to NIH and to the Medicaid program, along with other um, uh, significant um, funding cuts to CDC and other areas that um, our faculty and staff um, are also very concerned about. But we really um, have been primarily focused on the NIH and the Medicaid um, cuts. Um, it's important, I think, to also remember that this is coming on the heels of bipartisan um, commitment to increase um, NIH funding that just happened um, a couple weeks ago as they as they sort of fulfilled their obligations through the last appropriations process. The budgeting process in D.C. is very confusing, but um, as they um, just took a budget vote a few weeks ago, um, we were really proud of our bipartisan congressional delegation for increasing the funding to NIH. Um, but because um, because President Trump, um, ex, you know, uh, budget included nearly a 20% cut to NIH, and because of OHSU's deep reliance on NIH funding, um, we thought it was really important to communicate um, our deep disappointment um, in that um, part of his budget. His budget also um, fulfills his commitment to the um, American Health Care Act implementation, um, which includes the restructuring of the Medicaid program and six, about $627 billion worth of cuts to that program over the next 10 years, um, really um, deeply um, curtailing access 
um, to the Oregon Health Plan for um, for Oregonians if that were to be implemented. We have um, previously expressed our opposition to the American Health Care Act, which has passed the House of Representatives and now sits with the Senate in Congress. Um, so those are the kind of the highlights. Um, we expect Congress to now start their appropriations process now that the president has put his budget on the table and we will use all of the tools in the toolbox to advocate for the priorities that support the missions of OHSU. So, so uh, it wasn't that long ago that the president released a, you know, a budget kind of like this. We had a similar statement and then like you said, it ended up that actually NIH funding was, you know, increased instead of decreased. So um, what's, is there anything different this time or should we just expect that kind of a similar thing will play out with Congress this round? Yeah, I mean, it's it's important for us to be vigilant. I think because this is a new administration and it's just not totally clear where President Trump's true priorities are in the budget process, frankly, his budget um, uh, make deep cuts across many program areas. And because of that, I think that it is important for us to continue to express um, our concern and our support for the program areas that are important for OHSU to, to fulfill its mission. Um, I, you know, I think we feel very um, proud of our congressional delegation and their ongoing commitment to NIH funding that has been um, something for which has been a share priority, um, and we will continue to um, do what we can to support the work that they have done on, in Congress on that front. Um, so, I mean, I think it's important for us to uh, to note that Congress has, you know, had a deep standing commitment to increasing NIH funding, but, you know, it's very troubling that the president doesn't share that same commitment. At the end of the day, it's one big negotiation. So the vigilance and advocacy is really important and we will do that on our own but also in coalition with national partners and associations so, um, on so, the medicaid side oh go ahead i was gonna say so so how does that work um there's you know so you've talked about kind of expressing our views so and working with national associations how does that kind of play out for someone that has kind of no concept of how you do your job yeah sure so um so our faculty and staff at OHSU are our greatest resource in terms of um, expressing the policy priorities for OHSU as an institution. Um, many of our faculty and staff also advocate for their own um, sort of policy priorities through their associations of professional memberships. So we have lots of folks that engage in a variety of ways. I'll kind of speak to that sort of OHSU institutional work. Um, so we have really robust ongoing relationships with our congressional delegation offices. They have offices both in Oregon and in Washington, D.C. We will provide input on legislation and policy priorities um, and regulatory issues um, that they that are coming before Congress um, and help them understand the impacts of what they're working on to OHSU and to Oregonians. Um, and we will have faculty and staff and leadership visit with them in Washington, D.C. We will host them here um, on campus and um, 
help educate them about important issues that they're working on that we're working on in campus um, to help inform the policy making in DC. So it's really a robust ongoing relationship and exchanging of I think ideas and a free flow of sort of information back and forth. Okay, so essentially you're kind of you know putting tools in their toolkit. Yeah, and our congressional delegation really wants to understand the impact of legislation on OHSU, but also our faculty and staff are leaders in the nation and often in the world on particular policy areas. So even if OHSU doesn't have a particular position on a piece of legislation, we may have an expert that can help inform policy that they're working on. So a lot of times we're connecting um, our experts with key committee staff or staff from a congressional office to help provide the expertise and the technical assistance to inform the policy making. I think I mean, it's a really fluid time, obviously, in, uh, in Washington, D.C. And, um, uh, you know, I encourage folks to reach out to, to me or in the government relations office if they have questions or concerns. Um, and, you know, we appreciate all the efforts of our faculty and staff in helping support the, um, the work of government relations. Um, on behalf of OHSU. Well, thank you for taking time out of your day to talk to me. I'm sure we'll talk to you soon as this keeps evolving. Okay, thanks so much. Have a great day. That's it for this week. For OHSU, I'm Patrick Holmes.